Welcome to TLC, everybody. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, happy St. Patrick's. I have one green shirt. My whole entire wardrobe. I wear it once a year. All right, don't judge. Okay, I know it's a little bright. You know, so your focus is here. I, I need you to hear right here, right? Uh, St. Patrick's Day, St. Patrick's Day. You know, we are, we are in a series called uh, Game Changers, yes? And, you know, one of the heroes, one of the actual original Game Changers, not original, but one of the heroes of the game that changed the game was St. Patrick. You guys know that? St. Patrick was not, it's not, it's not a drinking holiday, okay? I mean, I don't know, I don't know where you guys got lost in that. It's not a drinking holiday. St. Patrick was a real dude, okay? He, he literally changed the game. He was, I think he was kidnapped by pirates, Irish pirates, thrown in some jail for a while, escaped from there, went back to Britain, right, got the call to go back to Ireland, you know, and this, is what his, this was his prayer. He prayed, God, that I may save more souls than any predecessors before me. That was his, his, that was his, his cry to the Lord, and this, they say he prayed a lot, okay, that he would save more souls than any, and he ended up being, they call him the apostle of Ireland. Right, uh, he ended up being the bishop of Ireland, and he he brought the whole entire island, the whole country, to know who God is. Right, the game changer. That's what it is. It's a game changer because he he wasn't he wasn't going to go with the flow and kind of just go with the circumstances of his day to day life. He wasn't going to let situations of life kind of dictate him. He was going to follow and trust the process that God has set before him. And go out there and change the game. Go out there and change a generation. That was, that's what the series is about. This series is created with the, the intention in mind that you would not just be people that are looking forward simply to a 9 to 5 or simply just to uh, have a comfortable, simple life. But to be a generation willing to stand up. That wherever you go, wherever God has placed you, whether it's here, in a different state, different country, different town, different city, different neighbors, wherever you go, your presence will change the game. Your presence will change the lives and the trajectory of your neighbors, your city, your town, your state. Your presence will change the trajectory of someone's life forever. Because that's what God has called his people to do. He didn't just save us and just say, like, okay, well, enjoy yourself. He saved us. He said, now I want you to use you for this generation. Every generation he calls people to change the game. Every generation he calls people to step into the work that he is doing to change that generation. In the days when St. Patrick was around, it was a man who said, I will not rest, O God, until I have converted all of Ireland. I will not rest until your kingdom and your name is known among the lips of the people in whom you love and died for. And he changed the whole country. You guys follow? And so as we've been going through this series, my prayer and my heart is that we will catch this vision. The vision that you are not made for... Um, you're not made to just kind of coast through this place. But you are created to, cre- to, to, to change the trajectory of the life and the people around you. Okay? And we, we talked about a lot of different characteristics of a game changer. We talked a lot about different attitudes of a game changer. Last week we shared about that game changers, they have a plan. They're not just going out there and just kind of like foam or YOLO with life and just kind of do everything. They have a plan. But the difference between... 
a game changer who plans and someone else who plans is that a game changer plans with God in the midst of it. All right? Look at the person next to you and say, plan with God. Plan with God. Right? Because God knows. God knows. He knows that there are people out there who makes plans, who makes goals, who makes schedules. I want to go here to this city, work for a couple years, and then come back, raise some money, and then come back, vacation, retire early, blah, blah, blah. There's goals and there's plans. Nothing wrong with those goals and plans, but the problem is if they are devoid of God, issues come up. God knows this. He said, I don't, I don't really need to be a part of your life, but I know that you need me in your life. Because if you are a person who plans, who schedules, who sets goals for yourself, right, devoid of God's presence there, one or two things begin to happen to you. You, you swing on this pendulum of either you're puffed up with pride when your, your goals are met, your, your, your plans are executed perfectly. Your, your, your schedules are, are, are set in motion and you got what you wanted. You're like, you puffed up like, yeah, I did it. I made it happen. And you feel prideful about it. But then God's saying, but here's the problem. You don't even know if that's good for you. You, you, you fought so hard for this. And yet you, in your limited wisdom, you don't even know if that's actually good for you. But you puff yourself up. You know how, many us, how, many, how many of us have actually done that? We, 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 we fight so hard to get something we wanted and realize after we got it, it wasn't even worth it. Right? But we thought in, in the moment, we're like, oh, this is all I need. This is all I want. But we puff ourselves up with pride just to be disappointed. Or if you make a plan, you make a schedule, you make a goal, and then you don't achieve that goal. What happens? You, you fall on the other side of the pendulum. A life of worry. Why did they get what they, uh, why, why, why did so-and-so got the promotion or the raise? Why did they get the girl? Why did they get the guy? Why are things going well for them and not going well for me? You're constantly going either puffed up with um, foolish pride or you're brought down by worry. And God says, but if you would plan with me, if you would plan with me, there is something beautiful about who I am that keeps you grounded. That if you would plan with me, you stay grounded. How? Because when a person or a person plans with God, they begin to realize something when they get what, they, or what they've been planning for, when they, when they actually achieve it. They realize it's God's grace. They realize that, you know what, everything that, I've, everything that I've got up to this point was because doors were open for me that I had no control of. Things were done for me that I have no control of. And so I recognize that even in this moment of glory, it's by grace. So I don't get puffed up with pride and I won't lose myself if I get disappointed by it. But at the same time, if you don't get what you wanted, you won't become, you won't spiral out of control because, again, you, you know that God works all things out for the good of those who love you, for those who love him. And you stay grounded. So up to this point, everything's by grace. So even if this is taken away, there must be a reason. And so you have this steady ground when you plan with God. You guys follow me? Right? So a game changer we plan with God. We don't take God out of the, the equation. We don't take God out of the planning when we get into a relationship. We don't take God out of the planning when we think about our future. We don't take God out of our plans when we think about our schedules and our, and our, and our uh, future goals. God is integrated deep within that. Okay? But today, we're going to talk about something else. We're kinda, James is going to do a kind of quick review as he, as he gets towards the end of the letter. He's going to go back to what he said in the beginning about persevering, about embracing the suck. Right? That God, God says, this is the parameter I've set for you, and I'm asking you to trust me, obey me, walk within this parameter, and while you're walking in there, it's going to suck. Things are not going to go well for you. You're going to suffer a little bit. But if you persevere, 
if you're willing to push through it, if you have the patience for it, the, at the end of perseverance, you develop the character and the maturity and the depth that I've always planned for you. If you would be patient. So he's going to come back and he's going to talk about this picture of patience. You guys follow? Right? Patience in the midst of suffering. That you would develop a heart to be patient. And that's what I'm trying to get, to, uh, get at you guys today. That while we are walking in this world and while we are obeying God and while we are walking within his parameters, he's going to call us to do something. He's going to call us to obey. And it seems like it's going to suck. It seems like things aren't going to go so well for us. And yet he's calling us, if you would have patience, you will see the harvest. If you would have patience, you will see it. So open your Bibles to chapter 5. We're going to break it down here. Chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. It's on page 849 in the Green Bible pews in front of you. If you guys have it, if you don't have your Bibles, open that. You are free to write in those Green Bibles, by the way. You just mark it up. Don't worry about it. The next person who picks it up is going to say, ooh, I can do this too. All right? So make sure you can highlight whatever you want. But have a Bible. Have a Bible. Create a spiritual legacy here, guys. This is good stuff. Okay? James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. The letter of James is written by half-brother of Jesus, James, who is also the pastor of the Jerusalem church 15 years ago from this letter. 15 years ago, he had the church of about thousands of people. And then the persecution broke out and all the Jewish Christians ran away because they didn't want to get killed. So they, they ran away throughout the known world. And everywhere they went, they formed pockets of towns and pockets of churches, you know, each of these towns and cities. And while they're there, you would think, yes, this is the plan. You go out to the world, you become game changers in your name, to your neighbors, to your town, to your city. You change the game out there. But while they've been out there for 15 years, instead of actually changing the game, James hears that they have been fighting with each other. James hears that they've been arguing with one another because they've been facing a lot of suffering. They're facing a lot of obstacles. They're facing a lot of problems. Right? They can't find jobs. Even, they, even if they got permits, they got protested against because they were Jews. Nobody liked the Jews. The Roman world didn't like the Jew. And then when they were trying to, you know, um, chum me up to their fellow Jewish brethren, the Jewish brethren didn't like them either because they were Christians. And so their wives were harassed in the market squares. Their kids were tormented daily. They were, they were facing obstacles. And so instead of elevating the game, instead of changing the game, instead of cha helping change the trajectory of that generation, they find themselves fighting with each other. And so James hears this and he writes them this letter to remind them, do you know what it looks like to live your faith out loud? Do you know what it looks like to live your faith practically? Do you know what it would look like if you actually step into your faith? You can change the game. And the reality is, those churches end up did changing the game, changing the whole entire continent of Europe, right? Because what they did was they embraced their faith. They lived out their faith. They didn't just talk about it, but they, 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 they lived it in the face of suffering. And so James here begins to talk to us and remind us about patience. Open your Bibles, James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. Let me read it for you guys. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rain? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's uh, perseverance and has seen what the Lord's finally brought about. 
The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word this day. And I ask, oh God, that as, it, as the word is proclaimed unto the sons and daughters, the friends and families of TLC, Lord, may it plant a deep seed within our heart. Lord, may it blossom and grow as you, Father God, speak into it. Father, I pray that we would learn the beauty, the wonders, and the truth of patience. I ask, oh God, that you would speak to us today and use me, Father, unworthy as I am to preach your message, Lord. Use your servant, Father God, this day. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. See, James begins this kind of this section with an illustration of patience. He's the illustration of a farmer, right? A farmer will prepare the field. He will sow the seeds. He will create the fertilizers. He'll put the seeds in. He'll do what he needs to do. But after he does that, the only thing that he can do now is wait. He has to wait for the spring and the autumn rain to come. He has to wait for the rain to come for things to grow. He has to be patient if he wants to see the harvest. Now, for a farmer, if you guys didn't know, farming happens in two stages. There's a spring har- there's an autumn harvest, and there's a spring harvest. The autumn harvest is when the first, uh, the first rain comes, and you see your plant coming out, right? It's the first fruit, and you're like, wow, this is great. Now, if the farmer is a little bit nervous or anxious or worried all the time, He would think, what if there's a drought coming this spring? What if no more rain comes? This is all we're going to get. I should harvest now. Because if I harvest now, at least we get something better than nothing. You guys get me? Right? But if he's willing to wait for the spring rain, if he's willing to wait for the spring rain, that's when you will get the abundance of the harvest, the fullness of the harvest. But you got to wait for it. You guys get me? You have to. So James is saying, you understand as farmers, as people who work the field, that there is two harvest times. But if you jump the gun, if you are impatient and you try to just gratify this moment right now, right here, you're going to miss out on the glory that's to come. You're going to miss out on the bigger harvest that is going to come to you. See, if you are impatient and harvest too early, not only do you miss out on the fullness of the harvest, but you allow your impatience to actually begin to destroy you physically and emotionally. Patience, James is saying, is I'll let go of the pleasure of the present in order to get the gratification for the future. It's delayed gratification. Patience is like delayed gratification, whereas impatience is saying I'll forego the gratification of the future so I can have the immediate reward, certainty, right now. And so James speaks to a crowd of people who are suffering, who are going through a tough time, who are at the very moment thinking I should just count my, cut my losses and just get what I need to get right here, right now, and not wait, and not persevere, and not grow into maturity, not let the testing test me and grow me, but I'll just cut my losses, I'll just get what I need right now, and kind of just okay with God. James knows that this is his crowd, but he speaks to him. He says, but if you would wait for the harvest, if you would wait for the spring rain, you will see glory. Look at the person next to you and say, wait for the harvest. All right. 
Wait for the harvest. It is the difference between delay gratification and immediate gratification. Yes, let me give you some illustrations so you guys understand this, right? Patience is saying everything else before my needs. I'll take care of everything else before my personal needs. Impatience is saying my needs before everyone else. Okay? Patience is saying everyone else's needs before me. Impatience is saying everyone, my needs before everyone else's. Okay? I'll give you an example. You know, like, um, I have this habit when I eat food. Especially, like, when I, I always save what I really like towards the end, right? It's, it's, like, it's like delay gratification. You know, you want to delay the, 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 the enjoyment of the food. So you, you eat the stuff that you don't really like in the beginning so you can enjoy the things at the end. You guys know the, the French pastry, the pâté show, right? Like, the way I love to eat that is I, I eat, people like the crust, but I, I'm, I'm not big on the crust, but I eat all the puff pastry around it first, right? Because I want to save that meat part for myself. So I'm, I'm just like munching on, I'm, I'm munching, I'm munching, I'm just eating it, I'm just waiting, I'm waiting, and then my wife's pretty, you know, she's good, she looks at it, she's like, hmm, just wait till he's finished. And the moment it's all done, she would be like, hey, honey, can I have a bite? I'm like, what? Now? I've been waiting so hard for this. And she's like, can I have a bite? She's like, um, I'm like, man, man. <laughs> Uh, but she's, uh, she was patient too. She patiently waited for me to eat all the bad stuff, right? You know? <laughs> Good job. You know, it's, it's, patience is about putting people's needs first. Impatience is about gratifying my needs now. There's a, there's a story about a man. He met God and he said, God, would you show me what heaven and hell looks like? So God said, okay. So he took him to this room where there's two doors. He opens one of the doors. And in this door, he saw this room uh, and a table, a circular table of people that are sitting on the chair, but they can't reach it. But they have this big old spoon in, to reach this uh, savory pot of soup that's in the middle of it. It was, it's, it was like the most amazing thing he's ever smelled. And he said, wow, it smells so good. But as he looked into this room, the people were sick and they were thin and they were miserable. Because they try their best to get their soup, they can reach for the soup, but they can't turn the spoon around so that they can actually eat it from stuff because the spoons were so long. And they were just sick and they were thin and they were miserable. They hated it. And then he comes out and God said, this is hell. Right? And the guy said, oh, man, that's, that's a really painful situation. Then he goes into the other room, opens the door. Same exact setup. Big old circular table, people surrounding it, big long spoons and a pot right in the middle of the most amazing soup. And yet this room, the people... They're happy, they're full, they're fed, they're laughing. He walks out. He said, I don't get it. And God said, this is heaven. But this is the same setup. Why is one group all uh, sick and, and dying? The other group is all happy and, and, and well nourished. It's because here in heaven, they learn one truth at a very young age. That love is about giving it away. So what they did in, in heaven was that they took the spoon. They knew they couldn't feed themselves, so they took the spoon and they fed the person across, right? As they fed the person, the person got to eat. And guess what? The other person fed them. And so as they began to kind of just share with each other, they were well fed. Versus in hell, the spirit was impatience. It's all about what I want now, my immediate gratification now. And so they were trying to feed themselves. They didn't care about whether someone else got fed. They were just trying to, like, you know, do all these kind of weird acrobatic stuff to get the food into their mouth. And instead of actually being fed, they begin to die. You guys get me? All right. And so James begins to speak into this. He says, look, all right, unless you are patient during trial and you let the trial run its full course, you can't know what great things will come of them. 
Unless you are patient to see the trial run its full course, you won't know what things are coming. Can you, can you understand that God, when he puts you on this journey of growth, that he wants you to come out of it sweeter, calmer, more grateful, more kind, more humble? But you never get there. You never get to the place of maturity because the moment where it starts sucking, the moment when it starts getting hard, you lose your patience. You get into this area of impatience. You're thinking, it's about me. I'm not getting mine and, me and mine, so you know what? I'm done. I'm out of this. So instead of growing to a person that has depth, have wisdom, and has maturity, you become a person that's shallow. You become a person that's just outward. You become a person that's just, you know what, nice on the outside, but really in the inside, there's nothing. You become a coconut, hard and firm inside, water, nothing. See, God is saying, I put you on this road for a reason. I put you on this road because at the end of it, I had this plan for you. I wanted you to learn this. I wanted to grow you in this, but you would not because your impatience stopped you. So some of you guys, you don't, um, you don't feel connected with TLC or with this community sometimes, right? You show up maybe one or two events. You come out to Sunday service once uh, uh, for an hour. You do a Bible study here and there. But you've never fully given yourself to the church. And so you grumble. And you wonder to yourself, I've been showing up at least one hour each time, but I just can't get deep with anyone. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't connect with anybody. And God is saying, if you would have the patience to move. Do you know what it means to build a community? Do you know what that I want you to learn what it means to build your life into each other? And the moment when it gets hard, the moment when you have to show up, right? You think you can build a community sitting at home in front of your, your computer screen and just FaceTime it? You think that that's a community? When you actually have to show up and deal with each other's problems, deal with each other's life, and it got difficult for you, and it got hard for you, it, got, it became inconvenient for you, you lose your patience and you bail out, you're not going to learn anything. God said, I've been planning and wanting for you to understand what growth, connection, family looks like. But you never got there because why? You bailed out because it became impatient for you. You always follow? Well, some of you guys, you had seven jobs in five years because you jumped from one career to the next career to the next career. And you grumble and you say, I can't seem to get anywhere with work of my career. And God's like, man, really? The moment when work became hard, when it no longer felt pleasurable for you, you bailed because you're like, it doesn't fulfill me. You know, one, can I tell you something? One thing, I, the principle that your parents understood, they may not have seen it as, in terms of biblical, but one biblical principle that they understood was this, patience. They knew that they would be in a job that they probably would hate, that they probably would not like so much, but they patiently withstood it. Do you know why? Because they knew that the harvest was coming. You know what the harvest was? Their children will be blessed. Isn't that true? They knew that if they were to stick it out here in this place with this job, even though it may not fulfill them emotionally, physically, whatever, they knew that in the long run, there will be glory and there will be harvest because my child will be able to move forward. They knew that. They knew the principle of this. Yet for some reason, we lost this principle. That the moment something becomes inconvenient, out of the way, tough or difficult for us, we began to show our impatience. 
We begin to grumble. We begin to complain about the situation. And instead of God saying, just stick to it. If you stick to it, I'm going to show you why I placed you in that position, why I placed you with those nasty co-workers, why I placed you with that horrible boss. There's something that I'm trying to teach you to show you that there's a harvest coming for you. But if you would be patient, you will see it. But if you are impatient, you will lose it. You guys get me? Look at the person next to you and say, wait for the harvest. Right? God has placed you. He said, I want you to learn some characteristic for your life if you would stick to it. Yeah, I know your boss sucks. I know your coworkers all whack. I know, I know the situation is not great. But if you would have the patience to stick to it, you will grow in your perseverance to maturity. And there is something about that that I will use. But if you keep jumping, guess what? Your life is going to be jumping. And you're going to be all talk and yet no real depth. Or you change your major 20 different times, right? So you're like, yeah, that's me, right? And you begin to grumble and say, I can't seem to get anywhere with my education. Duh, right? You're trying to be a jack of all trades, right? But master of nothing. You're trying to like dilly dad on all these different things. I want to try this. I want to try that. I want to do. I'm so young. I can do all these things. And then after 15 years, you're pretty much on staff at school because you haven't graduated yet, right? You know, they gave you your own parking lot because you're like, man, this, this, they're, they're here forever. And God is saying, if you would just stick to it. Yeah, I know the major sucks. I know, you know, bio is cute until you get into OCHEM, right? And then once at OCHEM, then you know you ain't going to become a doctor anymore. You're going to end up being a business major because that's, that's the... That's the, that's, the, that's the filtering uh, major, right, or filtering class that does that. But once it gets there, you're like, no, I can't do it no more, and you walk away. And God said, you, you want to be a doctor, and you can't even get past one class? Once, one core, 10 weeks? You, you want to save lives, and you can't, even, you can't even endure 10 weeks of this? You ain't going to save nothing, right? You ain't going to save nothing, guys. So I have a plan that I have in store, but if you would endure it, if you have the patience to go through it and not lose your step, to embrace to suck through it, you will see the harvest if you would wait. If you would wait. But what always comes up, your impatience comes up. It begins to get at you. And I'll share with you how it gets at you in a little bit. But it gets at you to a point where you're just like, you know what, I'm moving on. I'm done. Or check this out. You're married for your first year, and all you do is argue, which is natural, by the way, right? Because you're two different people trying to figure out how to become one for the first time in your life. But you argue, and you argue to the point where you're constantly throwing the threat of divorce at each other, and you begin to grumble and say, I can't seem to make it work in my marriage. I can't seem to make it work in my relationship, right? Back then, I remember when I was in youth group, a uh, youth group pastor, you know, most dating relationships for them last about three months, right? I mean, that's, that's my, like, my, my time frame, like, you know, like, I told him I'm going to date so-and-so, so I'll give you three months, right? Nowadays, it's even shorter. I think it's even shorter. Like, I think it's like a month, and then, like, I'm done with them, you know, like, no more, right? And God's saying, if my goal in marriage is to get you guys to come together and become one so that you will see what it looks like to have me, I am three in one. And when I bind you guys together in marriage is to grow you towards that. It's for you to see that. It's for you to know that. For you to become in your own physical aspect divine. And yet, you let your arguing, you let your bickering, you let your suffering 
get in the way of that. So instead of actually growing towards that maturity and that depth, you become two people that's always grumbling, complaining, whining, and arguing with each other. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to walk with them. I'm I'm going to love them. I'm going to do my best to give and pour out. You get into more, it's like, well, if they're not pleasing to me, I'm done. If they're not doing what I want, it's over. You let your impatience take over. You guys get me? And yet all the while, God is saying, why don't you wait for the harvest? Why don't you have the courage to wait for the harvest? Right? Can I tell you guys something? Like, you know, wife and I, we work well together. But one of the things I, I always say, like, you know, I can marry anyone else and it will still work out well. You, it's not like you have to find, like, my soulmate, you know. It's really how hard you're willing to work at it together. Work at coming to this together. Because if you're willing to be patient through the suffering, guess what? The harvest will come. Wait for the, look at the person next to you. Say, wait for the harvest. All right? See, don't you see? When you, when you begin to grumble like that, when you begin to become impatient like that, you're missing the harvest. You're not, you're not waiting for the rain. You're trying to reap too early because you want the gratification of the present. You want the gratification of it right now. But you won't want to wait for it. And James is saying, if you are to be patient, you will see the glory. Then he gives us a couple of examples here through the prophets. Let me, let me uh, James chapter, verse 10. Let me, let me break this down for you. He says, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering... Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. See, God, God James is giving the example. This is how you know he's a good pastor. He, he, he gives the principle and then he gives examples that they know, right? He gives examples of the heroes of the faith, those who waited for the harvest in the middle of suffering. Those who obeyed, even though suffering came with their obedience. He knew, and he used them as an example because he said that if you would wait, you would see. Just like now. So let me, let me give you some examples of some of these prophets, okay? Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet. God told Isaiah, Isaiah, I want you to preach to my people. And Isaiah said, yeah, I'll do that. I can do that. But when you preach to them, they will not listen to you. Okay, that sucks, right? Not only will they not listen to you, they will not care for you. They will turn a blind eye. You will preach until you're red in the face, and yet they will never hear or see. Will you do it? I said, for how long? (laughs) A day? A year? How long? Until the grass withers and there's no more trees. He did it for 20 years. He suffered in obedience for 20 years. 20 years, and still there was no glory out of that. 20 years of suffering, 20 years of patiently suffering. To Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, okay? I feel so bad for this guy. This is like, he's like the one-man show, okay? Je- Jeremiah, Jeremiah was, this, <laughs> Jeremiah was this guy who God told him, hey, look, Jeremiah, I'm going to use this nation called Babylon, their king, Nebuchadnezzar, to teach my people a lesson. Because they have wronged, they have constantly gone wrong, and so I'm going to use this king to punish them. Tell my people, just surrender. They don't surrender, 
They're going to be, they're going to suffer. And so the whole time in Jerusalem, all the false prophets and priests were like, we ain't going to surrender to Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to fight because God will never let his temple fall. God will never abandon his people. And so Jeremiah walks in. He's like, hey, guys, um, God says just surrender because he's going to use Babylon to uh, teach you guys a lesson, to teach us a lesson. So if we fight, we're just going to die, right? And they looked at Jeremiah and they said, you coward. You coward. You just don't want to die. You don't want to fight for your people, fight for your nation. Like, Dude, man, that's not the case at all, bro. I'm all up for Jerusalem. But here's the issue. God told me that we're going to lose. So let's just, let's just surrender and everything will be fine. And they said, they, they chastised Jeremiah. In his suffering for obeying God, did he give up? He kept going. He's like, okay. He allowed for himself to suffer. And guess what happened? They lost, right? They got, they got taken over. And they fought and they died. So now Jeremiah thought like, okay, well, now that they learned their lesson, great. You know, I'm done, God. We're over. Nope. God said, I still have one more for you, right? So now Babylon takes all these people into exile back to Babylon. And the Jewish people, they're prideful. So they say, we're not going to go into the city. We're just going to make our encampment around it. We're not going to be a part of that culture, that nation. We're not going to be a part of their business and their commerce. We are us and they are them. We're just going to separate. And so God told Jeremiah, actually, man, I want you to tell my people to go into the city, to make their homes there, to build their companies, to build their business, right, to prosper that city. Because if that city prospers, they will prosper. And Jeremiah says, what? Really? Like, I'm already branded a coward. What do you want me to be branded a traitor to? Says, go. So Jeremiah walks in and he said, um, yeah, we can't camp here, guys. God wants us to go into the city and build the city, love the city. Build the city, they said? The very same city that conquered us, blessed Nebuchadnezzar who destroyed our country? You traitor, right? You freaking traitor. And so they almost tried to kill him, Jeremiah, because they thought he was so bad. And yet he still patiently endure the suffering. Talking about prophets, you want to talk about Hosea? Hosea. I feel, I feel bad for Hosea. Man, that, that man, like God said, I want you, Hosea, to understand how I feel. He says, okay, what, what, what do you want me to do? I want you to marry a woman that's going to leave you all the time. Oh, that's, that's, that's not cool. Not only will she leave you, she will sleep with every other man around you. And when she does that, I want you to go back out, bring her back home, and make her your wife again. And he said, like, okay, really? Like, yes, because that's how I feel. God says, I love my people, and yet they have prostituted themselves, they have adulterated themselves to all these other gods. And yet every time I will bring them home. That's my heart. Hosea, would you do that? He said, marry someone who's going to sleep with another man? Like, yes. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Patient suffering. But you know Let's say, let's say for a moment, they decided to be impatient. They decided, like, okay, I'll obey, but it's not working out. It didn't seem like it's working out, God. Like, when's the lesson coming here? It's not working out. Things are getting worse. Let's say they abandoned the call. They just said they just gave up on it. It's like, I'm done. They decided to, I'm going to just live for the moment right now and just don't worry about the suffering. I don't want to suffer. I want to live for my needs. Let's say for a moment they decided to do that. You know what would happen? We would have never known their names. Right? We would have never known their story, and we would have never known 
the harvest that they saw because of it. But because they were, I'm, I'm telling you this, when God called them, they weren't like, yes, I'll obey because 2,000 years later, people will speak my name. They weren't thinking that, okay? They weren't thinking like marry a prostitute, get the praises of generations. <laughs> Definitely. They weren't thinking that, right? Be branded a coward and a traitor. Yes. And then be named the weeping prophet forever. I like it, right? They, didn't, they never thought about that. They didn't even see that. They didn't even see that. But they were willing to patiently suffer. Because at the end of it, there is the harvest and there is the glory. You see, if you are, if you are willingly, listen guys, as God places you on this road and he says, be a game changer. I want you to be a game changer in this generation. But what, what that means, though, that is that brothers, men, you got you to gotta rise up in your character. You got to be above reproach. You got to be men whose word means something. You got to be men whose action means something. You got to be men who actually stand for something and not be dilly-dally, not be pushed back and forth by the wind whenever things get hard for you. That sisters, you would be women of faith, women who would cry and pray and seek for God. Not slander or break or destroy people just because they are different from you. But if you are going to go down that road, it's going to be hard. Because everyone's going to be on you. Everyone's going to be attacking. It's going to be a hard, suffering road. But if you would do it, if you were to be patient in that suffering, if you were to embrace the suck, the harvest will be waiting. Look at the person next to you and say, wait for the harvest. Right? Can I tell you, this is how you know. Some of you guys are thinking, how do I know if I'm patient? I feel like I'm pretty patient. You know, I've been suffering a lot. How do I know? How do you know if you are patiently suffering? Can I tell you? Right? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this. It seems kind of weird because it seems coming out of the blue. It says this. You, you too. Uh, verse 9, sorry. Don't grumble. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Isn't that kind of weird? That if you grumble, you complain, you become nitpicky. If you're, if you're someone who is self-absorbed or self-pity, feeling sorry for yourself, God says that you will be judged. Like in a very like, nasty judgment, like judgment, like heaven, hell judgment. Like that's kind of weird, right? We all grumble. We all grumble. But why, why is it so bad that he would judge us for it? This is how you know. Listen, this is how you know You've gone past patience and you've engaged into impatience. Because the moment when impatience begins to come at you, the one clear sign is grumbling. And it starts very small. And God, God, would, never, God would never just say some random stuff just because he wants to say it. He knows that if he says it, that grumbling will lead to something very toxic and poisonous and ruinous and destructive in your life if you allow for it to continue. He knows that grumbling will, will actually eat you up from the inside out if you continue in it. And so God says, be patient. But if you are impatient, what comes out of that is the spirit of grumbling. All right? It starts small. But then it grows into something deeper and it poisons you and it attacks you and it makes you no longer an actual person but just a grumble itself. Can I give you an example, right? Like my grandma, she's an old lady, right? Man, her life, is just, every day is just grumble, grumble, grumble. 
nitpicky. I'm like, and everyone says, she's old, just let her be, right? But I'm like, man, I've seen some grandmas, they don't, they're not like this, right? This is like extreme, a little bit dramatic. So I remember a long time ago, I met my, my grandpa, and I said, Grandpa, was grandma always like this? He says, no, man, she's not. I said, I don't believe you, right? He said, there was a time telling me that she was sweet and she was kind. I'm like, you lie, right? I cannot even imagine that time. He says, why do you think I would marry her then? I was like, I don't know, she blackmailed you? Like, I don't know how she, like, how, like, there was a moment when she, there was a sweetness and there's a kindness to it. I mean, there, was a, there was a kind of grumbling. It's like, oh, you don't love me as much, right? That came out kind of sweet, that kind of whiny. And then after a while, I'll be like, I take care of everything in the house. You don't do anything, right? To, to the part where it's like, you know what, I will save my children. You go and fight your war, right? And it, it become an overtime. What started off as a tiny little mumble became an all-out grumble. And after a while, what happens to the heart? It decays and it breaks. And you begin to point fingers critical of every situation until it eventually kills you. You guys get me? And God says, I don't want that in your life. But you know what brings that into your life? Impatience. The unwillingness to stay the course, to be willing to be patient through the suffering. The moment impatience comes, you grumble, you grumble, you grumble, and then bam. Let me give you an example. You know, when you, when you get married, right? When you get married and you guys are patient with each other, out of all the words, out of all the words that Paul can use to describe love in 1 Corinthians 13, the first word he uses, love is patient. So when you begin to marry, and you, if, if you actually are patient with each other, your needs before my needs, you continue to walk that road, what you see is that grumbling doesn't get in the way of that, right? But you know couples where when they begin to get married, and it's not about patience towards each other anymore, it's about what can you offer me? And when you no longer can give me my needs, what happens? I'm beginning to become impatient with you. Right? It, was, it was cute for a little bit. It's not cute after two years. Right? I get that you couldn't get a job for a year. After five years, I don't, I don't, something is wrong with you. Right? You know, like, and, and you begin to be impatient with each other. And what happens when impatience comes? What, what comes with impatience? Grumbling. You're, you're useless. You're, you're, you're nobody. Why can't you be like so-and-so? Why can't you be? And then grumbling leads to what? Brokenness. Does it not? Because now what started off as a two spirits binding before God in marriage now separated because of the poison of grumbling. You guys get me? All right. So often and so many times we forsake patience in suffering because we want to gratify the immediate moment now. But God is saying if you would wait patiently. I'm not saying wait and do nothing here. Okay? I'm not saying just wait. I'm going to wait patiently. Wait Wait and embrace the process, trust the process, grow with the Lord. You know, we went through the whole game changer thing, grow. And if you were to do that patiently, what comes out of it is glory. It's the harvest. But when you know, this is how you know your heart is moving towards a different direction. Because in your heart, you begin to grumble. And you know, when you start grumbling, you can find so many things to grumble about. You will find things that you can connect 15 years ago to the moment that you have now, right? Everything about that from this point on, you like, do, 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 and you just like put all these dots, and you're like, yes, you suck, right? I have 15 years to describe it. Wow, what happened 15 years ago? You said you loved me. 
Well, I didn't know that was just a ploy, you know, like you were, you were tricking me. About, all this stuff happens, right? Because of what? Impatience for the moment. Impatience leads to grumbling. But patience and suffering, as you grow in that, as you persevere in that, it leads to maturity, leads to depth, leads to wisdom, it leads to glory, and it leads to harvest. Right? So let me ask you this question. So how can I move away from grumbling and impatience? What, is there a resource within the gospel itself that will give me the ability and the strength to move away? Because I see it in myself, and I'm pretty sure you see it in yourself. Is there, are there resources within the gospel that can actually give me the strength and the ability and the heart to overcome my impatience? To be willing to endure in my suffering? To be willing not to grumble in the midst of struggles? And the answer is yes, Jesus, right? Jesus. Think about this, okay? When you begin to feel impatient, when you begin to grumble, the first thing that should come through your mind is you should think about how much you tax God's patience. How much you tax God's patience. That, that, that should be going through like, like, here I am grumbling about so-and-so or grumbling about such-and-such situation. But can you imagine God in his, in his wisdom and his glory? He's watching you and he's saying, okay, all I'm asking is would you just do this? All I'm asking would you just trust me in this role? All I'm asking is just walk this way. And you're like, no, I don't want to. I'm, can you imagine how many times, how often, how frequently you tax the patience of God? And yet, in the midst of all that taxing that you do to God, he still chose to say, I will give my life for him. I will give my life for her. So if me being limited in who I am, and I have a God who will be willing to still see me for who I am, and yet now I'm looking at my brothers and sisters, how can I walk with this grumbling spirit, this impatient spirit towards them? But even more than this, check this out. Just like Christ, he patiently took the suffering. Did he not? He patiently took on the suffering because he knew that at the end of the suffering, glory awaits. You know what that glory is? You. Did he grumble? Oh, he did grumble, right? He, Jesus was human, okay? At the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sitting there and he was like, um please take this cup from me. <laughs> like, I, I don't want, like, can you please take this cup from, I don't want to do this. This is very, I'm about to get crucified. Would you please take this cup from me? And yet, but yet he still said what? But not what I will, but what you will. Look at verse 12. This is what he says here. Verse 12, it says this. It says, above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no or you will be condemned. Well, you know what he's saying here? It says, if you say you're going to do it, do it. If you say that, God, I will obey, then obey. Walk it. Things are going to go bad. Things are going to look bad. Things are, you're going to suffer through the process of it. But if you say it, do it. Be patient. If you say, I'm no longer going to live that lifestyle, God, then do that. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't get lost along the way and say, I'm so impatient. Things are not working out. I thought that if I would just follow after God, everything's going to work out for me. Look at your Savior. He followed after God and God took him to the cross. 
God allowed for the suffering of Christ because he knew that at the end of that suffering, there is the harvest. There is you. And so Christ took it because he said what? Not what I will, but what you will. You have called me when we were in heaven together. Who will go for me? And I said, yes, I will go. Hebrews, right? I will go. And so I will not defer from that task. I will not move from that strategy. I will not walk away from that. I will patiently suffer through it. Jesus wasn't on the cross. He's like, dude, y'all, can't you just see what I'm doing for you, right? Why can't you guys just get it through your brains what I'm trying to do for you or complain about it or grumble about it? Yet on the cross he said what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Everyone else's needs before his. Because he understood that in patient suffering, there is a harvest. You guys follow me? Right? The resource that we draw upon to endure this is that we look to the cross and we, re- we realize something. If the father was willing to put his son through suffering because the glory comes after, then there must be a reason why I am patiently suffering now. There is something that the Father is teaching or guiding me towards. There is a harvest awaiting me. You may not even see it in this lifetime, right? But there is a legacy that I will build from it. You guys get that? There is something that will be built from this. And if I'm willing to wait patiently, the harvest will come. Because the Lord is full of compassion and full of mercy. He is not someone who is going to put you in suffering just for the fun of it. But when he places you on this road of obedience, all he asks is this, patiently walk through it. Persevere. We go back to what James says in the beginning. James says, brothers and sisters, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind. For we know that the testing of your faith builds perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work that you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. If you would persevere. If you would have the patience to persevere, you will see the glory. Everybody look at each other and say, wait for the harvest. Let's pray, guys.